0: This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia's shelling of more than 40 towns in the east of Ukraine destroyed almost a dozen high-rise buildings, according to local authorities. Russia has doubled down on efforts to take control of the Luhansk region, as its troops encircled the neighboring cities of Severodonetsk and Lizichansk, A local official said that pro-Russian separatists are holding 8,000 Ukrainian prisoners of war in Donbass, of which Luhansk forms half. Republicans in America's Senate blocked a bill related to domestic terrorism prevention, which Democrats had hoped would be a starting point for gun control reform. Republican intransigence, days after America's second deadliest elementary school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, means Congress is unlikely to pass stricter gun laws. Meanwhile, scrutiny of the police response to the Uvalde massacre intensified. Witnesses criticized officers for standing outside the school while the gunmen murdered 19 children and two adults inside. Police in Indian-administered Kashmir shot and killed six militants amid unrest sparked by the conviction of a separatist leader, Yasin Malik, on terrorism charges. A television performer and a police officer were also shot and killed by militants. Mr. Malik, a former leader of the Jammu Kashmir Liberation Front, was on Wednesday handed two life sentences by an Indian court. Mr. Malik renounced violence in 1994, but was arrested in 2019 after the J.K.L.F. was banned. A state appeals court ruled that former President Donald Trump must testify as part of an investigation into his business practices. Letitia James, New York's attorney general who first launched the civil probe in 2019, has also deposed two of his children, Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. Mr. Trump's lawyers argued against testifying because he claimed his answers could be fodder for a separate criminal probe run by Manhattan's district attorney. Russia's central bank cut interest rates for the third time since early April, in an attempt to cool the ruple's rapid rise. Officials slashed rates from 14% to 11%, and said further cuts could follow. The ruple crashed after Russia first invaded Ukraine in February, but has since rebounded thanks to soaring energy costs, and capital controls. Broadcom, predominantly a chip maker, is set to acquire VMware, which specializes in cloud computing, for $61 billion in cash and shares. The deal, which would be one of the largest technological acquisitions of all time, will continue Broadcom's shift towards supplying higher-margin software. Britain's government U-turned to unveil a windfall tax on oil and gas companies, which is expected to raise around £5 billion, $6.3 billion, over the next year, more than double the opposition Labour Party's recent proposal. The 25% levy, on top of a current rate of 40%, will help fund £15 billion, $18.9 billion, in grants to households struggling with soaring costs of living. And fact of the day, 125, the factor by which Chinese exports of goods to America increased in the three decades to 2015. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The NRA meets in the shadow of Uvalde. America's National Rifle Association meets on Friday in Houston, Texas. The gun group's three-day annual convention comes just three days after a young man armed with a military assault rifle and high-capacity magazines walked into an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, just 280 miles from Houston, and murdered 19 children and two adults. Leaked tapes reveal that after the Columbine school shooting in Colorado in 1999, NRA officials considered canceling a planned convention. They even mused on adopting a sympathetic tone towards mass shootings. This time, the show, with stalls displaying the latest version of weapons that have been used to murder American children, will go ahead as planned. Donald Trump is due to speak, along with dozens of other right-wing politicians. The NRA has endured plenty of scandals in recent years, including accusations of financial fraud and near-bankruptcy. But its grip on the American right seems undimmed. The Endgame in Ukraine Having failed to take Kiev or Kharkiv, Russia now appears to be gaining the upper hand in the Donbas region, where it has concentrated its forces. The progress of the battles will, in turn, affect views of the endgame. Western allies say it is for Ukraine to decide the terms on which the war ends. Yet they are broadly aligning with two camps. Germany, France, and Italy have, in various ways, called for a ceasefire or talks. Poland, the Baltic states, and Britain want to help Ukraine win. America has not set out a clear objective. The argument turns partly on territory. Should Russia be allowed to keep the gains it has made since February 24th and the land it seized in 2014? It also concerns time. Who benefits from a prolonged war? And can Russia eventually become peaceful Nor must it always be contained. Ukraine's future depends, in part, on how far the West is willing to help it. Finland's Foreign Minister in Washington Finns consider themselves a nation of introverts, but since deciding to join NATO earlier this month, the country's diplomats have been on a charm offensive, On Friday, Pekka Havisto, the foreign minister, visits Washington for talks with Antony Blinken, America's Secretary of State. The main topic? How to convince Turkey to drop its resistance for letting Finland and Sweden into NATO. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, says he wants Finland and Sweden to crack down on Kurdish émigré activists, whom he considers terrorists, living in their countries. But he may also have other demands, such as permission to buy American F-16 or F-35 fighter jets. In 2019, Turkey was kicked out of the F-35 program after buying anti-aircraft missiles from Russia. On May 25th, Finnish and Swedish diplomats spoke with Turkish officials in Ankara. So far, no breakthroughs. Big Screen v. Small Screen. What are you doing tonight? Two big Hollywood studios have poured nearly half a billion dollars into rival projects vying for your attention. Paramount hopes to tempt you to the cinema with Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to its 1986 blockbuster. The film stars a now 59 year old Tom Cruise who is summoned to train a batch of young hotshots, including the son of his late-flying partner, Goose. But Netflix would rather you stayed at home for the fourth season of its paranormal hit, Stranger Things. The Friday night showdown between cinema and sofa is emblematic of a bigger battle in the entertainment industry. During pandemic lockdowns, staying in became the new going out. Movies like Top Gun, originally slated for release in June 2020, were grounded, while streaming services boomed. Now the tables are turned. The world is reopening and people are going out again, ditching Pelotons for real bikes, swapping Amazon for the mall, and quitting Netflix in favor of the cinema. The Intergalactic Appeal of the Sun Ra Orchestra Founded in 1953 by Lesonia Ra, a jazz musician who named himself after an Egyptian god, the Sun Ra Orchestra was always ahead of its time. Encompassing as many musical genres as it had members, the freewheeling ensemble's blend of free jazz, blues, swing, and R&B, as well as its early embrace of electronic instruments, was avant-garde and esoteric. Ra died in 1993, but his band lives on with an ever-changing cast of musicians. On Sunday, the orchestra, now fronted by Marshall Allen, a 98-year-old saxophonist, will play at Solid Sound, a music festival at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Massachusetts. Last year, Swirling, their first album in over two decades, was nominated for a Grammy Award. Many of its tracks are instrumental. Those with lyrics urge the listener to transcend earthly concerns and tune into a cosmic plane. What sounded radical in the 1960s sounds more palatable now. The world has finally caught up with the orchestra. Daily Quiz Friday. What is the name for the bulky triangular knot used for neckties and compulsory for Royal Air Force personnel in Britain? Thursday. Which hedge fund manager founded the Robin Hood Foundation with the aim of reducing poverty? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Rachel Carson, who was born on this day in 1907. But man is a part of nature, and his war against nature is inevitably a war against himself. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio.